go, go. I'm working on the introduction of this podcast to say it in French, but my ah. pronunciation is horrible. So, en anglais today, I'm afraid it'll be en anglais. <laughs> Bonjour, uh, Monsieur et Madames, e Wilkemen. That's German, right? <laughs> Wilkemen is German. The word right. you're looking for is That's beyond the <laughs> All right, that's it for you. Maybe next week we'll get a little bit better. We'll give Luke a crack. Anyway, welcome everybody to <laughs> Nothing to Fear, a weekly horror movie podcast starring three Canadians who should learn both official languages but haven't. Absolutely not. My name is Billy not. Schultz. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm in the the hottest of the seats to learn the other language, but... My name is Billy Schultz. I am your host, reporting from an undisclosed location in the province of Quebec, and I'm joined, as always and as ever, by two of my very best friends, Alex and Luke. How are you doing this morning, Alex? You look bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to be here. <laughs> yes, Billy, I am bright-eyed and absolutely not hungover at all or tired. <laughs> We're good to go. There was no bad pork at all. <laughs> God bless no. the Sunday mornings. Let's go. <laughs> Alrighty, and I'm also joined by Luke. How are you doing, Luke? I am well. Thank you for inquiring. Let's take a trip down the rabbit well today. <laughs> I our... keep saying well. <laughs> Interesting. Sorry. Good. Good. <laughs> Superman does well. I am good. Yes, you are good. <laughs> What's that term where you say a word enough times and it sounds like a word, just sounds like a sound? That's called podcasting, and that's what we're doing. <laughs> that's called. I thought there was an official term for it, but thank you, Luke. I, that I think there might be an official term, but I can't. Like the like when you say a word over and over and over again, and it loses its meaning, and you're like, "Is latch a word? I don't know. I've said it a million times." Yeah, is well. Anyway, a word? try it at home. Well, oh, no, I don't. We're about There's to a find phrase out. called conventional educational classrooms. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're just joining us and this is your first episode, what we do here is every single week we watch a different horror movie and we talk about those horror movies to prove that there's really nothing to be afraid of. That's the name of the show. No, it's nothing to fear. But all month long we've been doing remakes and our last one for the month of September is going to be the one that I picked. And I have chosen The Ring, a remake of the Japanese movie Ring that we watched last year. You can find that episode and we're watching the 2002 remake starring Naomi Watts. And yeah, I'm excited for this one. But Luke, I want you to let the listeners know what you know about The Ring. Have you seen it before? What's your experience with this one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have seen it, but it's probably been about at least 15 years, maybe even longer. So I watched it a couple times after it came out in the recent, like right after it came out maybe a couple of years. So it's been a long time. I don't remember all the details, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's a slightly more polished, Hollywooded version of Ring. I definitely remember that from even seeing Ring when we did it all those months ago. I was like, oh, the American one definitely has a little bit more money behind it, <laughs> which makes sense. <laughs> but other than that, like, yeah, it's scary. It's creepy, but also not very different from the original Japanese. So I don't know how surprised we'll be at any of the story points. If memory serves, they expand a little bit more on the kind of like flashing motifs 
that we see like there's kind of do you remember that one episode of the office where they go to gabe's apartment and he's just got those like kind of like off <laughs> off-putting films that he watches like korean horror movies yeah <laughs> yeah 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 but it's also just like a shot of like a fly on food up close and it's like grotesque and unsettling there's a lot of those kind of <laughs> shots in this movie, which are kind of yes. like broken, broken fingernails. And oh stuff my like god! That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's uh, unlike our show name. There's something to be scared of in this film. <laughs> yes, I so. remember that from the the Japanese one, where it's just like the opening is just this weird sort of like indie art student film with like mm-hmm. yeah flies and time lapse food rotting and stuff and you're like it's yeah. all supposed to be emotionally something and you're like <laughs> okay but it's also just kind of gross just, yeah 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 this is gross <laughs> this is a visualization so. of the anger inside of me right exactly yeah the only other thing i kind of <laughs> am not amused exactly but it's just it was a funny timing because this movie came out a year after mulholland drive with oh, also so naomi good. watts which was like the most bizarre mainstream film maybe ever in Hollywood. <laughs> like, is that David Lynch? Yeah. Was that Mulholland? So yeah, yeah. I remember like just Mulholland Drive was such a huge movie when it came out, and so that it was just kind of funny to see Naomi Watts next in just this kind of like horror movie. <laughs> it's like, well, is this do, her typecast kind of now? Do you think that would make sense mm-hmm. though? It's like because. This is an American remake of it. They need like a star powerhouse to really attract the audience to it. Sure. So they're like, who is in the biggest movie last year? Naomi Watts. Let's get her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, uh, question though, Luke, if you, maybe you don't know this, but do you know, was Mulholland Drive like a breakout movie for Naomi Watts? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Pro- probably. She might have been in some before then, but definitely that cachet was there. Well, let me. I got an answer for you, Billy. Oh, After okay. moving to the United States, Watts initially struggled as an actress with appearances in small-scale films until appearing <laughs> in Mulholland Drive in 2001. There you go. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. So this was a breakout one for her, but I wonder if she maybe filmed Ring sort of around this time or like filmed it before or like did work on Mulholland Drive and then was done and took another job. You know, like the way the movies get made, it's not like... You know, she probably did filming on Mulholland Drive in 2000 and it came out in Mm -hmm. 2001, you know, like, like I'm thinking from our experience with Cabin in the Woods, Chris Hemsworth is in that movie and it was before he got the role as Thor and, you know, wasn't a big name at that time. He was just a bit player, but I think it came out like around the time of Thor or maybe like a little bit before Mm. the Thor movie came out. Like, so everyone was like, oh my God, he's... He's Thor, and Thor is in this movie, but he actually made, he did his work on that movie before he got the part of Thor. And it just, like, the way mm. the movie-making process worked, that it, like, came out after. Just a little bit Bathor, his fame? Yes, a little <laughs> bit Bathor, his fame. So anyway, I'm just musing <laughs> that that's maybe what happened with Naomi Watts. Like, maybe she, she worked on The Ring... And then worked on Mulholland Drive and mm. got really big from Mulholland Drive. And people were like, oh, and she's in this this ring movie, this horror movie. That's interesting. But this all wild speculation and not particularly interesting to listen to, but maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what the podcast is. But It uh, either well, is you... or it isn't. That's the only two things. <laughs> but what do you know about the ring, Alex? I know as much as the plot of ring will tell me. Mm-hmm. I mean, as Luke said, there's probably not very many plot surprises, so I don't think, like, 
I'll be very surprised, but I think we, we might have mentioned this when we talked about both Ring and the other Japanese movie we watched. Grudge? Grudge. That's the Grudge. <laughs> yeah. But we, we had talked about how in those Japanese movies, we felt that a lot of like the nuance of, of dialogue got lost in translation. And that's why right. the performances yeah, yeah, yeah. sounded lo- like a little bit wooden or like the dialogue was like, ooh, do really people really talk like that? Which for me, because I have experience with another language and I've watched Chinese movies with English subtitles, I totally understand that that things absolutely do get lost in translation. So oh, yeah. I think with this being fully English and with all three of us hopefully understanding everything of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Luke, I learn something Optimism. new every single day. Yeah, always that, you know, maybe the plot points will be a little bit more concise. Maybe the characters will feel a little bit more developed, even though it's no fault of the original ring. It's just that we didn't understand the language. So maybe like that's kind of what I'll be looking for in this viewing mm-hmm. of the ring is like, I know the plot. I know what happens. So maybe I'll try to get a little bit more substance out of the details that I might have missed because of the language barrier of the first viewing. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was hoping for going into this watching is watching the other one i was like this is good question mark it, it feels like it's good the <laughs> the plot is very you know s- simple like this videotape you watch it in seven days something is gonna kill you because there's an angry spirit attached to it and there was a lot about the first movie that felt kind of soapy like the interaction between the main character and her love interest her ex-husband that was all it felt very very like tv drama daytime mm-hmm. drama like vibe so i wonder if that's gonna come across and if it's gonna feel that way as well i don't know i think the taste of movies not only being american the way they make them is a bit different but it's also a couple years later i think ring was from the late like late 90s wasn't it like 97 Mm -hmm. or 98 so this was like a few years down the track and so sensibilities and and what people like in movies might have changed a little bit and yeah, I'm hoping for some explanation about like the backstory around the spirit and the ghost, because I think that was the most confusing part when they watch like all the videotape and like there's that black and white section with the girl and just like, uh, OK, I don't really know what's going on. But mm-hmm. when is the countdown going to run down? Because that will be the climax of the film. So I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. And maybe one last thing to just remember i don't know if this will be relevant to something we talk about but this movie unlike a lot of other movies that we've done and even some remakes like this movie was marketed very very hugely right like Mm -hmm. there was a there was a lot of promotion and it was a kind of cultural phenomenon even like this there aren't like there weren't i can't even think really of how many horror movies are pushed like this one was so it made a lot of money i think right Mm mm-hmm well, Alex, you said, I remember you talked about how, like, it was a movie you remember your friends talking about in mm. school. I guess you were, like, a nine when this movie came out, right? So I don't know if it was around then or a little after. But, like, I remember this. I remember all of the trailers for this movie and how, like, creepy it was. And so it's just funny because, like, a lot of these other horror movies that have come out in our lives, I don't remember, like, really seeing trailers <laughs> or anything for mm. them. You know, they're just kind of there now. <laughs> Yeah, well, the running yeah. joke was you just walk up to someone and you whisper seven days in their ear, and then it's like, oh, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, everyone knew what that meant. It's like you die at the mm-hmm. end of seven days. So none of us had seen the movie, but it's it became permeated in, like, I don't know, playground and school culture. Same as, like, mm-hmm. Bloody Mary, right? It's one of those things, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember this was the movie 
that scared my sister so bad she had to sleep with the lights on. Like, I remember that story from my, my own family history. I, of course, never saw it. Too scared to watch horror movies. <laughs> and But yeah, like, this was one where no matter where you were, no matter what your love for horror movies were, everybody seemed to know about this, like, very scary movie about a videotape and a well and a girl who crawls out of the screen. And, like... I'm that's spoilers for the movie everyone that's what we're that's what we do on the show if you haven't seen it or listened to the other episode sorry <laughs> but I remember thinking like oh my god that sounds so terrifying and I would steer away from it with a 20 foot pole I don't think that I'm going to be scared this time though one knowing <laughs> the plot it can't vary too much in terms of the plot points the setting I imagine will be the biggest change in the the actors but I, I mean, I, I don't think this movie is set in Japan. I think it is set in America. <laughs> it might be set in Japan. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but we will, hmm. we will see. We will yeah. see. I don't think I'll be scared. It'll really depend on how many fingernails and unattached pieces of wet hair there are. Yes, your favorite, this movie, possible trigger warning for Alex, probably a lot of wet hair. <laughs> wet, unattached no, hair. Yeah, Ugh. it's the unattached part is important. Wet hair on a body? N- no problem, but if it is... <laughs> okay, um, yeah. As a recent owner of having very long hair, I now know the, you know, the wash day schedule where it's like, oh, there's mm. just so much hair on my bathroom wall that I have to take out, and you really gotta clean that up, because yeah, it's mm. gross. <laughs> and it's just waiting to get you. It's waiting to get me. It's going <laughs> to form a creature out of the... Oh, never mind. That's gross. Okay, we're going to watch this movie. We're going to go. We're going we're gonna to spoil the heck out of it after the trailer and probably a little bit before, but I do encourage everyone to check out doesthedogdie.com, as always, to see if there's any trigger warnings or suspenseful, triggery moments coming up that we may or may not talk about. And if there are any big ones, we will include them in the show notes. But we will go away and watch the movie, and then we'll be back in a moment. Because that this videotape that kills you when you watch it. You start to play it, and it's like somebody's nightmare. And as soon as it's over, your phone rings. And what they say is, you will die in seven days. Katie told you she was going to die. Told me. She said she didn't have enough time. Did you say that I'm gullible? No. Easily rattled? A little highly strung, maybe. I watched the tape. I'm not gonna get all worked up over some rumor. Show it to me. Miss Keller, I'm bothered by these drawings. Why did you draw that house? She told me to. Who? Who told you to? She tells me things. Before you die, you see the ring. The images on the tape are leading us somewhere. She show you the horses? Don't you understand, Rachel? What is it you think you know? Hello? Before you die, you see the ring. You see the ring. Everyone will suffer. You see the ring. You see the ring. You see the ring. 
is a 2002 supernatural horror thriller film directed by Gore Verbinski and starring Naomi Watts, Martin Henderson, David Dorfman, Brian Cox, and Debbie Chase. It is a remake of Hideo Nakata's 1998 Japanese horror film Ring, based on Koji Suzuki's 1991 novel of the same name. Watts portrays a journalist who investigates a cursed videotape that seemingly kills the viewer seven days after watching it. Didn't Gore, Ver- didn't Gore Verbinski do Pirates of the Caribbean? He sure did. And I was going to bring this up. So mm. when they're smashing the floorboard and <laughs> yeah. like finding the well, it sounded like Pirates of the Caribbean to me. Mm. Like the, the music. There you go. It was very swashbuckly mm-hmm. in Seattle of all places or of all places. Know, Washington State. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was probably a, some sort of piratey nonsense happening at some point in time in Seattle. Well, that's where grunge music came from, and I'm sure lots of people pirated it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's true. That's true. That's true. So there it is. We watched The Ring. That was an interesting watch. I will put in right at the top here, trigger warning, there was a scene of somebody suiciding via electric shock. So listeners, be forewarned about that one. Yeah. What did we think? I guess I should go first. Well, also, there's a scene of a parent throwing a child down a well. Oh, right. That could also be (laughs) negative for somebody. Yeah, there's also a scene of a mother throwing herself (laughs) off a cliff and a scene of a horse throwing itself off a ferry. (laughs) Um, Doesthehorsedie.com. Yeah, there's a lot of death in this film. There's a lot of bad Uh, shit in this film. I do not mean to chuckle at it. I know that it is a difficult subject for people. So if if it is something that's triggering, I, mm-hmm. I, we we mean no offense or no ill you know ill will towards anyone or any mockingness of it. It's very serious. But so yeah. But yes, Luke, you're right. There's quite a few scenes of suicide and and murdering in this one, and not in like the slashery movie sense where you kind of expect mm-hmm. it. It's a little bit more gross, and yeah. So. Anyway, what did I think of the movie? Good question. I <laughs> thought it was, at, at one time, like, more followable than the Japanese one because I could understand what was happening and not not having to rely on subtitles. But at the other end of the spectrum, I was just like, wait, why? What is Samara's deal? What is even going on at the end? The seven-day countdown and all that I thought was really cool. I thought the the descent into the madness and the little the scenes of her pulling the fly off the screen in real life and her like the nosebleed stuff like the countdown stuff felt more pressing in this one than in the Japanese one but the reason behind it I'm just like well what well, well why <laughs> who's this kid and maybe they a- answer that question in further sequels but or or not further sequels but in the sequels but it was just like okay so she's a spooky witch ghost she has powers maybe she doesn't sleep that was still left unanswered to me, and so maybe we can shed some light on it. Maybe we can uncover the the well and shed some light down it. <laughs> so, from a ring to you? a circle, from a ring to a circle. So, Alex, what about you? What did you like about this one? Hang on, I gotta let my sister in. Sure. Okay. Go should ahead. I, should I wait or? 
I might as well wait. Yeah. I want. I, I want Luke well to wait. hear what I think about it as well. That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> anyway, Alex, we didn't. Ta- we we wanted to wait for for you to hear mm. what Alex thought of the movie, Luke. So we waited for you. So oh, this has been some choice vamping. <laughs> I'm sure. So Alex, <laughs> what'd you think of the ring? I think for the most part, I I quite liked it. I can see why this movie was remade for an American audience. This was very Americanized. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of. I feel like Americans are always asking, well, but why? But why? And I'll categorize myself in that category. I'm always asking why. And I think this movie did a good job at explaining the whys more than the original Japanese one. I think I'm less confused after this watch than I was after watching Ring. And yeah, it was like, it tied into American things like horses, I guess. Horses are pretty American, right? Yes. <laughs> Lighthouses. American thing. Horses and lighthouses. Yeah. Naomi Watts. VHS tapes. Great. <laughs> she was good. Yeah. 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 And it was it was mostly pretty good. I thought there were some pacing issues. It dragged on a little long for parts of it. But I thought this was honestly, I think like I'm pretty against remakes a lot of time, but this was this was a solid remake in my opinion. And it answered more questions than it left me with. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So yeah. Good job, Gore Verbinski. You've swashbuckled my heart once again, I guess. <laughs> you've swashbuckled your last... You've buckled your last swash. No, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Luke? <laughs> that, that, we should get think? that trending. We've buckled our best <laughs> yeah. swash. <laughs> Listen, you always got to start the day buckling your best swash. Yeah. Well, just before I say what I think, I I wonder, I think maybe we talked about this in Ring, but because I watched this on Amazon Prime, at one point I went to go like check how much time was left in it, and Amazon Prime often has that general trivia thing on the side. So I actually oh, kind yeah. of accidentally learned that the kind of supernatural telepathic, I guess, element of this is Samara being able to project her images into film or image-based things so like her mind onto images so apparently oh, okay. in japanese lore it's something called nensha i think that's what it was so there's like a supernatural procedure i guess wherein in japanese folklore these characters are able to project their thoughts onto paintings onto images which is why like she's able to etch things in the wood kind of or like on people's arms maybe or like make the... those x-ray plates that looked like she had yeah and so then basically like i think we're supposed to believe this videotape is a manifestation of her thinking right like she's able to think this videotape into existence that's the supernatural conceit that allows this to be a, an existent thing that can go into your vcr <laughs> i'm pretty sure mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah I, well Okay. I okay, I was cool. pretty sure that in Ring it was the exact same. Like yeah, I can't one, remember if we talked bit... about it in that one, but probably. Like it, yeah, in this one it's a little different because like in this one, mom had no supernatural ESPN, yeah. right? And it was actually a birth child. Mm-hmm. But in this one, right, yeah. Samara was adopted, and she was the the only one with powers. And I guess it was mom that had mental health issues. Which caused her? Yeah, to that's interesting because do... there doesn't seem to be much that connects this universe to a Japanese universe. There mm-hmm. was like one little document that had Japanese characters on it, and then Anna Morgan's mm-hmm. name. But like, it's I guess we're just supposed to know it's a remake of a Japanese movie, which is why this supernatural thing happens. Yeah, maybe that that was just yeah. put in as like an Easter egg. Anyway, 
Or maybe <laughs> maybe it's like, you know, they said that Samara was adopted. And so mm. maybe it's like a branching universe thing where it's like the in, in universe A, ring happens in Japan and the child doesn't get adopted. Right. But there's a, a branching timeline where somehow mm-hmm. before she gets thrown down a well in Japan, they adopt that child and bring her to America. <laughs> and she's still all spooky and weird. And they're like, mm-hmm. we got to get this kid down a well. Like, there's no way around it. Yeah. So there's actually, yeah, it feels like there's like a meta connection of the plots of these two movies where like in this movie, the supernatural is still based on Japanese folklore. But there isn't much in the movie to let you know that there's anything Japanese about this movie. You just have to know the original was from Japan kind of thing. So anyway. Yeah. Just but to... like, I, as, as far as I was aware in Ring, like the original, that's also how the videotape was made. It was yeah. just a manifestation yeah. of Sadako's, like, mm-hmm. yeah, Sadako's spirit or whatever. And yeah, but sorry, mm-hmm. you were. Well, yeah, I just stuff. like more straightforwardly a Japanese folklore is going to make sense in that movie than in this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> But yeah, this movie is technically pretty good. I enjoyed the color palette of the kind of green, and it was kind of creepy. I also read that they lit it in such a way that there wouldn't really be shadows. So it's like adds oh, yeah. adds to the kind of bizarre look of it in that there's lights but no shadows kind of thing, which obviously is unnatural. Yeah, Naomi Watts was good. I actually thought the kid, I think David Dorfman is his name, was really <laughs> yeah. great. Jedediah. As you noticed, Alex, that was great. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He what was, a cool little tie-in to our show. He was creepy. Mm-hmm. The dad, Noah, was okay. There was nothing particularly wrong with him, I guess. <laughs> He's in Grey's Anatomy, isn't he? Oh, is he? Okay. Was he? Martin Henderson? Yeah. Yeah, he, he seemed like he was... I saw some Australian credits on his IMDb, and I thought I could detect a suppressed Australian accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, He's a New Zealander. <laughs> Oh, a Kiwi, pardon me. Pardon me. <laughs> and I thought the first scene was a very taking itself seriously, uber seriously version of the beginning of Scream. So that was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a, a parody of Scream, but being serious. <laughs> Is there a word for that? <laughs> yeah. But probably you can tell by my tone. I wasn't like particularly enthralled by this movie. And I think a big part of it was because the story Mm -hmm. is not new, even though I thought the story in this was pretty good. It just didn't do much for me because of the awareness of it. I think we've talked about this before. If I'm already aware of a movie, it's harder for me to enjoy it. I have to I have to just enjoy the technical parts, which were which were good in this movie. But again, I think the thing that this movie struggles with was its dialogue. I thought the dialogue was very poor and very kind of bizarrely delivered (laughs) bad dialogue poorly given (laughs) yeah and then that kind of made it feel like of all of the movies we've done this one feels the most like a soap opera so there's like a we talked about like the drama of the first one i felt like i was watching a soap opera with horror motifs (laughs) in this one more than a horror movie with soap opera motifs so you know that's just not really my jam I, I just was kind of like off put a little bit by the um kind of overacting in some of the scenes and the kind of like, but I will say I did really love the visuals. I think the time lapse shots and the kind of like manifestation of Samara's thoughts shots on the videotape were, were really cool. Yeah, they were gross. <laughs> Eat your heart out, Gabe. <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And I did like, there, oh, there was one other thing I really enjoyed in turn. Oh, and like. Another element of this that I think is probably not the most obvious tie-in to the Japanese film, but like, if I if memory serves, a lot of this story 
happens in the hinterland part of Japan, like an, a long, a lonely island, right? Or somewhere kind of mm-hmm. like off the beaten path in terms of like mainstream life of Japan. And I thought it was really cool that the movie is set in Seattle, but actually everything's happening on kind of like these islands around mm-hmm. like maybe the San Juan Island area. Like it's just cool that they also picked a kind of rural and mysterious part of the United States to also have this kind of, yeah, desolate, right? Like there's these different places around the U S that have these kind of like folkloric elements to them, like Cape Cod or Astoria in Oregon kind of Goonies feel. And I feel like those islands up around San Juan area, I don't know for sure that they were San Juan islands, but up around that kind of Northwest part of Washington state probably has a similar kind of feel to it. And it certainly did aesthetically in this. So I thought that was really cool too, but overall, I kind of was like, yeah, I've seen this before. (laughs) (laughs) Seen it, yeah. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that it's like, it felt like a soap opera with horror movie elements because it's kind of paced. I felt like it was kind of paced like horror at the front and then the whole like two third, like middle quarters of the movie or whatever, Mm -hmm. some sort of middle fraction of the movie was like a weird detective movie with not that much horror. There's like a couple gross out things that happen and then it's like horror at the end and then the movie's over but like in the middle there's not a ton in the way of like horror movie scares i think specifically there's the the scene where she pulls the electrode out of her throat and it's all covered in hair and it's like that was disgusting and grossed me out a lot and then the rest was like the scene with the horse on the ferry like that was weird but it wasn't scary it was just like what the hell is going on mm-hmm. and now this horse has jumped off overboard and that was like shocking to watch and kind of like tragic well very tragic and then like but like in terms of jump scares it was really just like at the start and then at the end mm-hmm. and there wasn't a, a ton throughout i felt like it dragged in the middle where i was like okay when are we gonna like start ramping the scares back up to the end because this like detective thing of her trying to solve the problem and it follows the same beats as the japanese one where she like goes to the house and finds the ticket to the photo lab and then she develops the photos and finds the the cabin in one of the pictures so she goes to the cabin and finds the videotape and like that all sort of followed along but again i think because we'd watched ring and we knew what was happening it was like okay yep she's gonna do this now okay and then she's doing this now and then just the shot of like early 2000s research where half of it was library <laughs> and just a little bit of it was search engines. Like I thought that was very funny because I was like, nah. search. She didn't search. press she didn't enter. Even, she didn't enter. Yeah. Was, she just she had to, had to move the mouse search. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. They had enter keys that, like, in yeah. 2002. I remember. <laughs> I remember. They were right there. Some of them said return. Maybe that was, mm. you know, maybe that was sh- throwing her off. But All yeah, like com- the, the computer mumbo jumbo is making me thirsty. I think I'll order a tab. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Homer. But, yeah. So anyway, the pacing, I agree with you, Luke, was, was very weird. And also, like, I don't want to be too critical. Maybe it's not even just soap opera. Maybe I'm just thinking of that because of the feel of the original one but also like almost like a bizarre network television pseudo sitcom pseudo procedural like where she's like talking to her boss like you're fired no i'm not i got a story you're fired no i'm not it's like nobody (laughs) fucking (laughs) talks to each other like that anywhere except on american network sitcom television that's the only place that is the only place where people talk to each other like that the worst TV show. I shows. wonder if the the sitcommy <laughs> soap opera nature of it 
felt that way to you, Luke, because everybody was very like daytime TV pretty. Like it, mm. it was like everyone was those like early two thousands, yeah. like the OC CW network TV show pretty, like just beautiful people. Adam Brody yeah. was in this movie. <laughs> that's right. He was in uh, the yeah. The he, that's right. He was in the OC. <laughs> so it's a perfect great just like great point. <laughs> Thank you. That's actually props to Kelly for pointing that mm. out. She's like, that's Adam Broder from the OC. I was like, yes, mm-hmm. you're right. I have not watched the OC, but yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, I get it. Like they, A little bit like the ring. Like everyone was super <laughs> TV beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, that was just like, you know, that kind of thing pulls me out of movies. Agreed. Although mm-hmm. uh, to be fair, I did like the scene where she's like, the boss is like, you're fired because you were mean to me. And she's like, no, I'm not. And I was like, oh, okay. If only it was that easy. I should have tried that when they were firing me. <laughs> yeah. Where would yeah. I be now? <laughs> Don't worry. I'm working on some good programs. Oh, okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Aiden, the kid, was good, but he creeped me out. And I think like he was supposed to. I know that he was Jedediah in... <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but this was before that, and then he didn't really do much after 2010. Like he kind of what did what did we find out? He became a lawyer, yeah, or a doctor. Graduated high school at 13 and went into law school at 18 or something like that. Oh right, right, right. successful lawyer. I think he was in all three Ring movies, though. I think he returned for all of them. He was so he was. It was just the way he was was strange, and it's like we've seen this in so many movies where it's like kids drawing pictures is weird. He's you know, he calls his mother by her first name, which was very weird in this movie. I mean, I've seen movies where that's like not weird, but just having him be like, Rachel, what's going to happen to me? I was like, oh, what? That's your mom. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> just he was very, I don't know. And he had like the weird bowl cut. Like he was just a freaky kid. Mm-hmm. But that's what a, a good horror movie has. Freaky kids. You know, similar to what we talked about last week with Quarantine, I liked this movie a lot more before I saw the original Ring. Oh, okay. And I think it's like this viewing I enjoyed a lot less than the first time when I didn't have any of the context of the original Ring, like the Japanese one. I liked this one more because it was the movie I knew, right? It was the movie I saw. And probably for a lot of people, that's kind of like they probably haven't seen the original one, right? So this is the Ring that they know. And it's like, a decent movie in its own right. It's just that, yeah, I guess, like you talked about last week, Alex, I felt a real lack of artistic spirit in this movie, right? In the way, mm. because because you felt that way about Quarantine in regards to Wreck, like Wreck did all the heavy lifting and Quarantine mm-hmm. stylized it, right? Right. That's how I feel about this one kind of too, I think. I do feel that in this one, if we're, if we're doing like straight up comparisons of Wreck and Quarantine with Ring mm. and The Ring... I do think this movie, The Ring, it did add some elements of sure. creativity to it, right? Like, there were shot-for-shot recreations, like, just off the top of my head, like, immediately the staircase in the house where Katie dies. Mm. Mm-hmm. I remember shots of them looking up the staircase and, and stuff like that. And then also when Aiden is walking, leaving school, and he's walking mm-hmm. out in the rain with his umbrella, and he bumps into <laughs> his dad. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that distinctively because in, in Ring, we were all like, who the hell is that? <laughs> oh, it's his dad. It's this random guy. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So there was like those shot for shot recreations in the Ring that they copied off of Ring, which I think was mm-hmm. like, it shows like- It's homage. Inspired by this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an homage. But then I think the 
creative liberties that they did to kind of change this to more Americanize it were like respectable for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I agree with yeah. that. Whereas with quarantine, it was pretty much like a shot sure. for shot recreation yeah. until the very end. Yeah, definitely. There was there was more like straight up fidelity between quarantine and rec in terms of the camera work. And mm-hmm. I actually think this ring did a better job on the visuals. I guess quarantine kind of did too. But like, I think oh, yeah. the additional visuals, it's just that the skeleton of the story is the same. And I mean, that's not a surprise mm-hmm. considering it's a remake. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like it was, I guess it was cool that they added like the whole horse element. I don't totally remember how different or the same the kind of family so, dynamic was. Yeah. But, um, I guess we could talk about the differences. Yeah, I'll ex- expand on that point. So <laughs> generally, most of the plot was pretty similar until we get to the figuring out the mystery part. Like mm-hmm. those details were different. So I think in Original Ring, the way that they find out that it's on that island was... So in this one, they figure out it's that island because she sees like the lighthouse and then she... I'm going to look through a book of American lighthouses. Oh, that's the one at the exact same angle. Okay. <laughs> American yeah, lighthouses. That... It's mm-hmm. in every library. Yeah. yeah, but that's how she starts to connect that these events are happening on this island is seeing the lighthouse. <laughs> there was a behind think... the scenes where she ran into Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe out there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why just spill the beans? <laughs> and then in, in the original ring, there was like an audio thing that you couldn't really hear it was like some someone saying some kind of rhyme and then they were, they were like oh, oh the dialect right, yeah. of this is native to this part of japan on this mm. specific island which is why how they were able to connect that which i think if you're american remaking it it's like it's more believable that like i don't feel like american dialects are as sophisticated as they could possibly be in japan like because mm. Everyone's all mixed up together anyway. You have like, you get your Southerners, you get your East Coasters, you get your West Coasters, and then you get your, I'm not a dialect person, but I feel like, I feel like a landmark location. Like America's way bigger than Japan. So even if you could nail down a dialect, you're like, oh, this person is from Arkansas, which is still like a huge place, right? So. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I did like the change where they, they made it that she, she saw a landmark on the film Mm -hmm. and instead of like hearing a voice. And then I guess the the biggest difference was the whole family dynamic, right? In the original, I believe it was the the mom ha- was able to predict things. Like she had ESPN mm-hmm. and she was able <laughs> to predict the volcano erupting. And then right. was it the, the, the professor marries her mm-hmm. and they have a kid together and they're doing all sorts yeah. of tests. Yeah, I'm just looking through the Wikipedia. The Good memory, Alex ring wikipedia so they learn that they they sail for the island oshima to learn more about the history of shizuko yamamura on the way ryuji explains that the media attention from suzuka's predictions attracted esp and researcher dr (laughs) haihachiro ikuma who besides conducting studies on her had an affair with shizuko and father the child so like there's like a a much bigger uh, you know esp I almost said ESPN, just like straight out there, a much bigger like ESP angle in the original one that this one didn't really touch on too much. It was like, she just can and she's just in here and she doesn't sleep and she's like angry and wants to kill everyone. And you're just like, oh, oh, okay. Interesting. So I I think that this is the the family dynamic part and the reason why, what's her name? What's the ghost's name in, in Ring? 
Samara? Sadako. Or Sadako. Sadako, it feels more vengeful, or it, it makes more sense in the original one because of that whole fa- family dynamic of they had an affair and blah, blah, blah. Whereas this one, it's yeah. just like, she couldn't have kids, so they adopted this kid that just hates things. <laughs> yeah, it's like all she wants to do is cause pain, which was like a weird... That's a total... Felt like a cop-out, yeah. Such a good point, Alex, because, yes, the gr- the like the great climax of this story is when we realize that Samara is still going to kill people even though she didn't kill Rachel and it's because she mm-hmm. made a copy and it's just like straight up psychopathic anger that is the kind yeah. of reason of her doing this. Like other than, okay, so you have been horribly abused by your parents, attempted to be murdered, sure. Now we're just supposed to assume that because of that you want to kill everybody on the planet? Like- it just doesn't feel like a revelation of a story that I'm like, whoa, you know, it's just like, oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it didn't even feel like she got mad after she got thrown down the well. It felt like it, the way they explained it, like she had this sort of like hatred before and she could make her thoughts mm, right. print her yeah. thoughts on other people. And so she was just like hateful and spiteful. So it's just like, oh, I guess. They just adopted this demon child who's like a monster, mm-hmm. and they tried to take her out, and she couldn't be taken out. And this is well, like it's a oh, movie about bad okay. luck. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> the, the the motivation behind why she dies makes so much more sense in the original because mm-hmm. in the original they have her out of wedlock, right? And then because he's this famed university researcher, and she, the mom is like some weird shaman, it's like psychic yeah she's yeah. got like mm-hmm. some notoriety yeah and then and then because of that like it's a very cultural thing too right because they're so well known and then they have this child out of this affair and it was the reason that the mom committed suicide was because of all those reports in the news about like oh like this is such a what's the word scandal scandal that's it thank you yeah it was such a scandal and like all the pressure of the media and all that is what drove her to commit suicide. So it's just the dad and the child left. And I guess the dad murders the child and pushes her mm-hmm. down the well yeah. because yeah, he yeah, feels right. resentful that to her because of all those events that happened. And I'm like, okay, that's like, that's actually like a storyline that makes sense. There's background to these characters and there's motivation that also makes sense. And now I feel bad for Sadako because None of this is really her fault. But then in this one, it's it's like, mm-hmm. it's just, it doesn't have that same kind of gripping, like, emotional tug to it. It's just like, they adopted this kid that has these powers, and her powers caused the horses to jump into the ocean and drown. Mm-hmm. And because mom was such a prize, like, the family were, like, horse breeders, and mom was so proud of her, all her horses and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Mom resents the daughter. I'm assuming the reason why mom killed Samara is because Samara did the things to her horses. Mm-hmm. So attachment to horses, I don't. I so I'm, I bet there's other people out there in the world that like would feel feel very passionate about horses. But for me, I feel that a scandal that really destroys a family dynamic has more emotional tug to me than horses. <laughs> I agree, and <laughs> and you don't care I mean, who also, knows. I don't care who it knows. It, it didn't paint them as being like 
we I don't know we didn't even really or maybe I missed it we didn't get like shots of her like them trying to integrate her it's like why was her room at the like top of a barn with like a TV and a bed and like a nightmare you know room thing like why was she staying there was she put up there originally was she like moved from the house because she was giving her parents like bad dreams it just sort of seems like you go to this farm where Richard and Anna Morgan lived and love to see brian cox in movies he's great mm-hmm. in, every, in, yeah. in everything good, good little but it's just like cameo-esque role yeah there, there's there's no way i am on his side at all by what we've seen it's just like he's murdered her he's dodging questions and then we see the room where they f- they figure out where the tree is and and everything and it's mm. just like this shitty hayloft <laughs> it's just like what <laughs> of course she's mad at you then mm-hmm. like what did you think was gonna happen yeah. So that was like what my question was. Yeah. Are we also not to gather that he thought of her like that because she's a straight up demon child? Like that's what's guess, confusing so, to me about it is that like yeah. was he not justified at some level in that because she's just like a spawn of Satan? Like this is what's so weird about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like I didn't quite understand him like dad as a character, so not Noah, but horse Rich- breeder guy. What's his name? Richard, wasn't it? Richard, Richard, yeah. I didn't quite understand Richard because, like, he has that one-off line to uh, Rachel, so Naomi Watts' character is, like, she was never supposed to have kids. And you find out that she got pregnant so many times, but mm-hmm. had so many miscarriages. So, like, was he doing something to right. force mm-hmm. miscarriages? And then when she right. finally adopted, because she really couldn't try, she he was just like, I never wanted kids at all. And because of that, I'm going to be really resentful and hateful towards this child and lock her up in the barn loft. And <laughs> like, it was just so weird. And like, which was strange in this movie because I thought, I thought this movie did a pretty good job at explaining like the first half of things compared to original ring. And then when you finally get to the meat and potatoes of like motivation <laughs> and why things are, this one, it didn't fit the good explanation that the start yeah. did. And it felt even kind of more dis- disjointed than than Ring. Ring, for me, narratively, like the original, it was a little hard to follow. I'm sure I missed so much, so many nuances because of the language, but, like, once I finally got the whole picture, I'm like, shit, this makes sense. This one, it's, it's kind of the opposite. Yeah, it feels like that... I don't know if you've seen this, this meme around on the internet, but there's, like, a picture of a horse where it's speaking of horses where it's like the first like three quarters of the horse is like beautiful and photorealistic and drawn so perfectly and then the hind quarters is just like a couple yeah, pencil like a shitty pencil sketch yeah i've seen yeah, that and it's like this is the ring story explanation for the first 75 percent, and then the last 25 percent. you know what listeners i'll put a post up on social media check it out <laughs> but but yeah the story was was strange and it it felt confusing and then at the end you're just like oh i guess samara just wants as many people to get her video, so just hang on until, like, TikTok, Samara. I'm sure you'll get millions of followers, and then you'll get your message out to everyone. But it, it, yeah, but what's it her felt message? kind of like sequel. I hate you, and look at this gross video of, like, nails going through fingers and yeah. worms. Okay. Because I'm mad, I guess, and I lived in a well for seven days, which was bad for me. But yeah, yeah. so it's like, that is all nonsense. It's very sequel baity, where they're like, oh my god, now we have to get someone to watch this tape. So now are they complicit in, like, you know, 
it's an it follows situation where they're like, hey, stranger, check out this video. Oh, by the way, you've got seven seven days to show this to someone else or you're dying. Bye. Or no, you got like, seven days to make a copy and show to someone <laughs> make else. A copy, right. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, right, yeah, yeah. This is the most tired point I think I've made on this podcast. But <laughs> if it occurs in a movie, well, I got dead horses. <laughs> I got to bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> this is just another perfect example of why a supernatural conception of reality and a natural conception of reality are inscrutable in terms of how they interact mm-hmm. with each other because there are causal there are causal things that Samara does in the physical environment that she's doing through supernatural means. And I say, how? <laughs> how are you doing this, Samara? And then how? you just, you just, I mean, maybe the more like actual point to be made here is this is exactly why I became so dissatisfied with religion and theology and kind of like Christian <laughs> metaphysics because I'm always asking, right. yeah, but how? <laughs> like, how is Jesus his own father and a ghost at the same time, all being the same thing. Like, how does that happen? Right? Not metaphorically, literally. <laughs> Are you suggesting that we need to have stronger faith to enjoy these horror movies? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it's probably an interesting psychological point is that I think a person more oh, yeah, with more proclivity to supersensory, extra sensory, supernatural, extra dimensional feelings is going to maybe be more interested in a movie like this than someone like i am right and because of course all like this is like such a buzzkill but the thing that comes into my mind is like okay this is empirically untenable how did they do this (laughs) you know well i think i think we don't want to we don't want to no i I don't want to how because you're right we have talked about it a lot and that's absolutely not the point of these movies but so like let's just like sort of transition into the how it looked of the Mm. movies instead of how did how did they do it like how does it look and i think the the effects in this movie for being 2002 like really really great uh, at the time and just for sure the scene at the start where i think what is it who is the name katie gets killed like her dead body versus the one in the Japanese film was like much more affecting. And the like corpsey stuff in this movie was viscerally more gross than it was in, in ring 1998. Yeah. What did you think about how the, how the movie looked? Yeah, it was super stylized. I think my favorite part of the way it looked was the different camera angles. There were really, there are tons of really cool camera angles. Like when she's looking up the ladder that she sees on the side of Noah's building and then, like the camera is from the top of the angle and you see her looking down. Same with like the staircase when when Aiden's looking up the staircase and then when Noah is like looking for those trying to steal files and he opens a drawer and like the camera comes out as he's opening the drawer. Yeah. Like, as if you were in the drawer. Those were great. Uh, I think the lighting was really cool and it worked because it's like, this is Washington State. It's always rainy here and it's, it's always, always rainy and gray mm, and the shadows yeah. are diffuse. Yeah. yeah. And just like the effects on the dead body. And I think Luke, you mentioned this in the the episode we did on ring where when Samara crawls out of the TV in this movie, she looks like she's a TV image still rather than looking like a flesh and blood zombie person in the the first one. And and it was cool to see her like her flicker and have like gray tones. And I don't know if she had like, which, which, which Instagram filter is that? Is that sepia? (laughs) (laughs) No, sepia is like all brown and stuff. This would be like a monochrome situation. Okay. Sorry. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that good at filters. (laughs) Yeah, I got you. (laughs) But yeah, it looked visually 
a lot cooler, I thought. And then the, I mentioned earlier in this episode, the descent into the countdown of the ring, like when she sees the video and all the different tricks and signs of her hallucinations like coming manifest like lifting a piece of paper and there's a big gross centipede under it the very disgusting scene of her pulling the electrode out of her throat was just like a nice progression of the scare because it mm-hmm. it reminded you that like yeah there's a ticking clock they have a deadline but she's and it's real and we gotta pay attention to it because if she ignores it it's gonna be bad news for everyone okay here here's my question to the two of you so all right I think for the most part, this movie, for the exposition stuff, did a pretty good job at explaining things and was pretty, like, just blunt about it. Like, you kind of immediately find out that Katie is Aiden's cousin or Rachel's niece, right? Right. Yeah. And, like, right when at the scene when she goes to the classroom and talks to the teacher, that that was kind of told to you as the audience right away, which I thought was really helpful because... I remember when we watched Ring, I was like, how are they related? Why are they at this house? And yeah. it took until like halfway through the movie. It was like, oh, the girl who died at the start is related to them. <laughs> she um, just happens to be a hotshot reporter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, I think all the exposition in this movie was like really, really good for, you know, my dumbass and getting me to understand <laughs> the set pieces and how things are related and why they're in this situation already. Whereas in the original, I was confused for me- most of it until I got the whole movie as context yeah so i thought this movie did a really good job at that but then at the same time i thought it kind of beat the nail with the hammer like a little too often the fingernail (laughs) yeah Yeah, no (laughs) (laughs) like examples of this is that there's you see the tapes in both movies and then this one it's it's kind of similar You, you you know you see like random shots of the mom brushing her hair with the mirror the mirror was like a big motif yeah and then this one you see like dead horses and like the ladder and and all this stuff. But then I, I found like maybe because they're trying to continue to cater to dumb Western audiences like myself, they're like every time one of those things happened in real life, <laughs> like when she saw the ladder outside the building, they're like, okay, we got a flashback so that the audience remembers flashback that there was a the ladder in the video. Yeah. And I, f- yeah. I thought they did that kind of thing like a little too <laughs> much. Like there was a little... Yeah, like every time something Rachel saw in real life was in the video, they had to do a flashback to the video in case it was like, in case you forgot, this was in the video. So I thought that was like not very subtle and like a little bit overused. Whereas in in the original, I don't I don't remember that very much. And I remember being very confused for most of it. Uh, but this one, it felt like they were kind of <laughs> overshowing and over explaining and kept nudging you as the audience. Like, do you remember this? You remember this? Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? They overcorrected. They overcorrected it for sure. But you go ahead, Luke. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think that they do these kind of things for holding your hand through a story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know. It's like, okay. Yeah, we get it. They're related. And a more modern version of this movie wouldn't do that. I think that's one of the great kind of evolutions of horror films, even from 19 years ago, is how much more subtle they can be when they are made well and the gamble of making a subtle one that has Easter eggs that you can look up later. And I don't know. Watchability is what makes a horror movie good, right? 
in my opinion. Maybe studios are more willing to take risks on more subtle videos now or, or movies now because audiences can just go straight to YouTube and figure it out at the end if they didn't get it. <laughs> right. It's true. There's going to be a million, yeah, a million YouTubers will have like released a, here's what happened in X this, movie. Like, this movie was and... three years before YouTube even came out, so yeah, who yeah, knows? We don't get it here. <laughs> Well, when YouTube came out, this movie would have been entirely in YouTube on YouTube in like seventeen parts. Yeah, <laughs> and like some of them would have been reversed, like the film would have been reversed to get around a copyright, yeah. or the colors yeah. would be stripped out, or something. Yeah, just another quick example of something I thought of the the filmmakers just being like oh, so handholdy was at the end when uh, when Noah was like, she was still alive. How long could you even survive down there? <laughs> and she's like, seven About days. About a week. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, we get it, okay? That That's why it's seven days. <gasps> That's how call. long you get after you watch the video. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't even like she said it once. She, would, she, she was like, dramatic pause. Seven days. <laughs> you could survive for seven days. Like, she hit it a couple times. And it's like, yep. Thanks. We get Thanks, it. Rachel. Oh. We got it. But that well, that dialogue was so rife throughout the movie. Like, I'm thinking the scene where Aiden, um, not Aiden, Aiden's a kid, where Noah's trying to get the files and he goes to the hospital. He's like, hello, yes, I am a person who would like the files. And they're like, no, get out of here. And then that, like, one gruff security guard is like, you can't get the files. You'd have to go all the way downstairs for that. You're not going to get, like, it wasn't that bad, but it felt very much like, yeah, well, what are you going to do? Go downstairs and go to aisle 37 to find that file? I don't think so, buddy. Cue Goodbye. next scene breaking like, in with a crowbar. <laughs> you know what's <laughs> exactly. funny? You know what's funny? As soon as you brought that up, I was thinking like, oh yeah, this. what's funny about that scene with the seven days is that you couldn't tell a difference between that and like a scary movie making a parody of that for it. Like if the, mm, if yeah. the original source is its own parody, there's no comedy to be had. But then I remembered that one of the scary movies is about the ring. So... Uh, absolutely uh, (laughs) i think it might be the third one second or third one maybe the first i can't even remember but one of the scary movies one of its guiding movies that it's parroting is the ring so (laughs) i feel like if this podcast goes on long enough we'll have to do the scary movie franchise yeah oh my god (laughs) bonus episodes (laughs) yeah patreon patreon exclusives everybody this is just more (laughs) grist for the mill well, yeah, the the dialogue, the the showing, the overshowing of stuff was like so rife in this movie, and I think it plays into the like, well, we got to make sure that every single person who sits in that theater and pays for a ticket can make sure they're on board with that, and that it smells like studio interference to me. Maybe they were like they tried to do it a little bit more like the Japanese one, and the stu- the the test audiences were like, I don't get what's happening, so they added more clues for people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, who knows? I don't know anything about how this industry works aside from hearing stuff on other podcasts. So I'm not an expert Mm. (laughs) in any way. Well, I can't wait for us to get back and do this in seven days. (laughs) (laughs) That's wait. That's how long. Wait, that's how long she was down the well for. (gasps) Yeah, they did that. They did another example. I was just I'm just looking through my notes of the dialogue was the reveal that Aiden is Noah's son where we don't really get any dialogue about it. And then at one point they're having a conversation in the car and she's like, somebody watched the tape and he's like, who our son. And you're like, Oh, right. Okay. That's supposed to be, that's supposed to be the, the familial tie. That's the mm-hmm. first time I've heard of it, but you're hitting it. Like it's this 
giant grand revelation. A carversation. 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 <laughs> Look, I'm trying to read my notes and talk, and I'm doing both poorly. That's just how we it's just how we roll here at Nothing to Fear. Well, Billy, you're still doing better than the dialogue of this film. Yes. <laughs> it's the highest bar to clear. I mean, this movie was very melancholic, right? Matched by it the setting and the rain and the color palette. You know, it's like a kind of... It felt like the Pacific Northwest, for sure. Yeah. this It was a depressed movie. <laughs> so, cheer up, movie. It was a depressed movie. Just the whole look of 2002, 2001, the phones, the clothes, the kind of like tech. It was pretty nostalgic for me because I was a young teenager. So I remember all that time, but it still feels like a long time mm-hmm. ago. It's just fun to be reminded of it. <laughs> I guess it was a long yes, time ago. Yes, it, it was the late high school for me. 2002, I was in grade 11. So that was like, mm-hmm. I was right in the wheelhouse of the age of the the characters at the start and like, I didn't look like anybody who would be on the OC at the time. I still don't, but <laughs> it's just sort of what it it looked like mm-hmm. to be a high schooler on TV in the early 2000s was just a lot of gelled hair, a lot of baby bangs, and the thinnest eyebrows you could find. I had some friends with older sisters, and so the characters of Katie and Becca were so familiar to me. You know, just like right? my friend's older sisters were kind of like exactly like that in 2002. And it was kind of just weird yeah. and funny to see that familiar archetype of a high school aged girl that was part of my life at one point, but like forever captured on the film. <laughs> it was so funny to see the very start where she's talking about the conspiracies of the TV waves and like how it's rotting your brains. And I was just remembering back to a time when conspiracies felt like they were way more harmless than they do nowadays. Right. It's like somebody being like, Oh yeah, the TV is going to like destroy your brain. Ha ha ha. Oh, go get your tinfoil hat. You goof. And now it's just like, Oh no, conspiracy theories are a huge danger. It was a simpler time. It was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. Mm. You stupid monkey. (laughs) I thought the cabins looked way scarier in this one than they did in the cabin park in Japan. Like when she goes to see cabin number 12 and it just looks like it's been abandoned for 50 years already, even though ostensibly somebody stayed there last week. It's just like, (laughs) oh, (laughs) this is this is a spooky setting for a, a film. Maybe if we were like more educated on these kind of things in like a almost like a class, there's probably classes on this kind of stuff, but it'd be really interesting to pick out all of the kind of very Americanized things done in this film versus what would have been more kind of like common to see in a Japanese type movie. Because I was just thinking this a little bit about this, Alex, when you were talking about how the the family was very different like in japan probably you're gonna get more subconscious buy-in to like a motif around a mother with espn and maybe a professor versus in america you know you're gonna get a little bit more of a kind of like cultural overhead that is understandable to have it be more psychiatric based as well as like a farmer right or like the ability not to have a kid right Mm -hmm. because you know yeah america the nuclear family it's like you have for to sure. get married you have to have kids and for sure they're gonna raise your horses i don't think the mom having esp and would have been like the same <laughs> compelling motif in a to an american audience but psychiatric 
patient might probably would mm. right and the same way like <laughs> maybe this augments your point of holding the audience's hand oh we don't we don't want no damn professors in our movies <laughs> those uppity fucks but we'll take a farmer yeah <laughs> right? we don't want someone telling us what to so do. like i you just think <laughs> i think that's interesting like it's a much more american themed mm, environment that the family finds themselves in versus a japanese one right maybe maybe i don't and i wonder if we like take that american kind of I don't know if folklore is the best way to describe it. If we take that American kind of storytelling, mm-hmm. what if this movie was set on the East Coast, like Maine, Massachusetts, whatever, and instead of instead of ESPN, it was like, oh, she descended <laughs> from a family of witches from back way back in right. Salem or something, right? I'm wondering yeah. if like if locate because America is just so big, right? There's it's so big, but, yeah. but you know what? Like there are through lines from this kind of movie to a movie like Shutter Island, right? I just don't yep. think Sh- Shutter Island is a good movie, but it's also a distinctly American movie based on the kind of history and mythos around the psychiatric procedures of past right. decades and centuries in rural America, right? Like it's almost its own kind of urban legend ghost story in itself are these. Now, obviously other countries would have something like that, but it just doesn't see like I just can't see Shutter Island being a huge hit. Just because like these movies get made in the countries that get made in based on like underlying things in the subconscious of the audience, right? Well, yeah. I don't I do not think for a second that it's it was not a conscious decision for the filmmakers of The Ring to rewrite the family dynamic of Richard and Samara and Anna to mm-hmm. be more of an American relatable story. Mm-hmm. Which Yeah. Marketing. Yeah, just straight up. It, like it makes sense. It totally, it totally makes sense, and it's a very conscious decision. I just found at the end of the day, if I'm comparing both movies, even though I would relate probably more to an American mindset than I would to a Japanese kind of culture, I just found the Japanese dynamic storyline part way more intriguing and way more interesting than this one. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe that's like an interesting conversation about like if you are remaking a film for Western audiences. What are things that you would change or what are things that you should keep because it's just a more powerful storytelling element, even if it's not as relatable? Yeah, Um, I think the horror movie family is something that definitely comes up a lot in American horror movies that we've seen and in the horror movie canon as well. Like there's so many examples of the bad things happening to families who are not those nuclear families like you said alex you know it's it's often a single parent situation or a blended situation where by the fact that they aren't a stable quote unquote stable family unit with like two parents and 2.3 kids and a dog (laughs) this is why the bad things are happening to them right like i'm thinking exorcist right it's a single mom and a daughter and she gets in trouble Uh, the conjuring too it's like a single family parent situation usually it's the dad who's gone of course if we want to bring in like themes of the the head of the family the patriarch and those ideas and not having that allows you to to be overtaken by vice and demons or whatever you want like it feels like that is a very a real sense of fear in a lot of the the minds of you know americans and, and westerners and we could point out examples that we've done, I'm thinking, I had a couple more that I was thinking, like the Poltergeist family, even though they're married, you know, they're very cool and they're like, they don't clearly go to church, but they're smoking weed, right? Like they're also, con- they're throwing off the 
conventions of what a quote-unquote good family is supposed to be like. And I think that's a broader topic, not just for the ring. And I'm sure there are entire university courses and discussions about the horror movie family and the dynamics of a horror movie family. But it's just very interesting how many times you come across these non-nuclear families that are at the center of these hauntings and demons and ghosts and mishaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's Great a good, point. It's a good it's a good sociological starter to talk about, right? <laughs> for sure. We we aren't uncovering this for the first time. I'm sure there are mm. thousands of other hours spent on researching this because the horror movies have been around for a long time and they do tap into that like underlying fear that is around and they tell those stories in a different way. So I don't want to make it sound like we're uncovering some great stuff. We're definitely just walking on ground that is already mm-hmm. well trodden. Hell no. Let's take the credit for it. Let's. <laughs> we were the first. We were and are the first. We are the trailblazers. We are the groundbreakers. Pay us money. I'll tell you what. We are the first in the same way that Christopher Columbus was the first person in America. <laughs> mm. So you're saying we're going to get we're a holiday say, for us. Not at all. <laughs> no. So... I think we talked about this a little bit with Wreck and Quarantine. It's similar in this one. The Hollywood producers of this movie were like, okay, here's a good idea from Japan. Probably most people in America haven't seen this movie. Let's remake it. Mm-hmm. Pay whatever royalties are going to have to be paid to the original and make a fuck ton of money on it. And yep. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like this movie made a lot <laughs> yep. of money. And it's still like it's like it, both in theaters and on DVD release, it made a lot of money. And so what's a DVD and has sequels. Yeah. 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 I just, I mean, like, again, I liked this movie more when I hadn't seen ring. I just did. I liked it because it was nothing to compare it to. That was more original and more thorough. So like this movie on its own merits is kind of creepy and a, a unique idea that we don't know has necessarily been quote unquote stolen or homaged from, or remade from a other story. Right. <laughs> And so I guess Hollywood studios are willing to forego the critique on podcasts of people like us to make their millions and millions (laughs) of dollars on these movies. It's a price they're willing to pay. I'm sure they're losing a lot of sleep. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's, I guess, all of that is kind of what I mean and trying to echo what you said last week, Alex, in terms of like the difference of artistic inspiration and our artistic vitality, like after seeing The Ring, this movie feels less artistic to me, even though there are parts of it that are extremely artistic. It's like the genesis of the artistry feels kind of like... It's like, honestly, it's similar. It's a similar feeling to me as when I find out that a joke I really like from a comedian is like mostly just a take from a previous comedian's joke that I hadn't heard before, right? Mm. Like, oh. That's, what, that's how I feel about my jokes. And then <laughs> I'm like, this is really good. And then you already said it before. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Or like a song that you find out has been kind of a little bit maybe stolen from a song before that no one got credit for kind of thing. Like it just doesn't feel as... And there's psychology around art in all of this, right? Like what counts as art? Why are people willing to pay X amount of dollars for a jacket worn by Van Gogh but not by his neighbor kind of thing? Like, right? Like there's like (laughs) things like this that are kind of almost inscrutable in the way we think about like the essence of things, but like the essence of the ring, the movie we watched today seems like a little bit less essencey. Once I know it's a remake. It doesn't matter if you're first, it just matters (laughs) if you're louder. (laughs) Well, as far as money goes, right? 
Yeah, well, and this movie made a fuck ton of money. But think about how we would it, think about a movie like The Ring versus a movie like Hereditary or Midsommar or The Lighthouse, mm-hmm. right? Like, I just see, I just, there's a part of my, like, total emotional, cathartic thinking where I'm like, they're just completely different from the beginning because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. So. Well, it's an interesting point you made about the parody, even though it's quite seriously done, of this movie and the remake part of it, because... At some points in the movie, it did feel like they were kind of not satirizing, but maybe poking fun of the original (laughs) source material. Like Mm. when Noah watches the movie and we watch Ring and one of the critiques we made was like the movie at the start and the movie that Samara made feels very art filmy, art student-y. This is an expression of my rage. Ha ha ha. We even made it at the beginning of this episode. And then we have a character in The Ring making that exact same point, right? It's like speaking with the voice of the audience just feels very... (laughs) Your point earlier, Luke, that this would have been in place in a scary movie is Mm -hmm. right on the money, but they're doing it in a serious way where it's like, well, this one character is going to be like, ha ha. What a weird student art film you showed me. I guess I'm just not scared of things. Da 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 da. Here I go. And it's just like, do, I don't know. When you when when the character makes the joke that the audience is going to make, I feel kind of like, oh well, now I can't make the joke because I'm just stealing it from somebody in the universe. And that's yeah. It, it, it yeah, but you made it better. So, oh. and I will claim that for you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like listening to a band that's pretty good, but you like you you kind of think maybe the guitars are just a little out of tune the whole time. <laughs> You're like, that yeah, just you doesn't quite, quite sound on. right. It's not quite right here. Yeah, I mean, another thing they did for the American audience, I feel, was like made it seem a lot more sensational. I think any of the that we talked about the effects already, but specifically when Richard is electrocuting himself in the bathtub like mm. that felt a very much like here is mm-hmm. a big shocking <laughs> not intended but i'll use it shocking part of the movie <laughs> where the audience is gonna go what the hell is are you going just on? trying to amplify the tragedy <laughs> billy <laughs> well we'll put it to a volt how's that sound <laughs> uh well i think currently it's the best plan was this where was this movie set not Washington, D.C., right? <laughs> no. The other Washington, which is an entire state, which includes the city of Seattle. Ah, Washington, A.C. Uh, Washington, uh, alternate Washington A.C. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck, I walked right into that one. Good one, Alex. <laughs> All right. So, because they added this whole, like, subplot of the the horse barn and, and have it be a whole whole big thing, that scene where he goes into the bathtub and puts a horse bit in his mouth and turns on a bunch of like jury rigged cables and TVs was just like, whoa, what is this movie about? That felt like it could have come out of a prototype to a Saw movie. It could have been like a scene in Seven. Like it felt like it it belonged maybe in a different movie. Mm-hmm, and like, yeah. why did he kill himself? Like he he's lived with this secret for 24 years and it just happened to be the... 15th or 20th time a reporter came asking questions and he's like that's it i'm done see you never yeah it was uh it was disjointed and i'll say i said it before i'll say it again i don't care for horses that plot point just didn't interest me it's like (laughs) 
yes, it's sad that, you know, all your prize bred horses, like, they tragically died. Like, it's an ant. Like, I understand that, but I did, didn't feel an emotional tug. I would have probably felt more if it was, like, all my prize bred dogs died. Like, <laughs> I would have cared more if it was dogs. But, like, horses are, I feel like horses are pretty niche. And they just didn't right. capture my, my, my heart. You shouldn't relate to them. No, yeah. can't. Well, just creep me out. It's an empirical question. We could do a poll. How many people would be motivated by horse deaths? Well, there's. I think there's a reason why the website is called DoesTheDogDie.com and not DoesTheHorseDie.com. Mm. Yeah, no, I would. I would. My <laughs> hypothesis would be more people would care about dogs than horses. But I think the relevant one to hear is that would the amount of people who care about horses be a low number, a medium number, or a high number in its own right? Right. So. I, I guess given a larger, large enough sample size, mm-hmm. you could find that answer. But in the sample size of the three of us, I feel like we're, <laughs> I d- I'm definitely on the camp of like, eh, I don't, I'm not really bothered by horses. Alex is no, so I guess it's down to you, Luke. Well, and then we'll extrapolate. Even if I care, I still <laughs> lose the vote here. But <laughs> I just like it's, I I don't I don't like when. Uh, and this gets into the whole eating meat controversy. I don't like when animals died needlessly, but that's like a hypocritical thing right. because I, if it doesn't happen around me, I'll put it in my burger kind of thing. <laughs> so, but it's more, it's kind of just well, like my first reaction would be like, this is not normal. What the fuck is going on here? Even more than like, mm-hmm. I feel really sad about these horses. Like it's kind of more the bizarro nature of it that would get my attention and my thoughts before any sort of like compassion that might come later right. and like i have spe- mm. i have spent time with horses on farms and like there is something quite majestic about them in when you're standing beside one and you're just petting its face and it's looking at you and you can just feel it's like an animal that has power but is also gentle if you can treat it right you know yeah. and the, like there's something mm-hmm. kind of cool about that way of a horse and I, I imagine someone who is a horse farmer or a jockey or an equestrian type person would have a pretty compelling argument for not being sanguine yeah. about horse deaths but yeah that being said it is a little bit different than uh, what happened in the japanese one and i do think the japanese one was more compelling well yeah it boils down to in one it being a family thing and a human drama and like people are affected like families are affected in a a relationship sense and in the american one it feels like they're affected in an economic sense like it's a loss of livelihood it's definitely a challenge but it's not quite the same as an affair and scandal and you know family loss it's just like yeah maybe the horses died but you you know it it I don't want to say horses are possessions or things because they are mm. creatures and they have their own minds and stuff. But it's like, you know, if if you if you transpose it onto being like, you know, this family was a bunch of stock car drivers and Samara lit all their cars on fire. And that was why she, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. lost all her money. You know, it kind of it kind of strikes me more closer to that vein rather than a familial thing. Like she lost some stuff and maybe that's callous of me and mm-hmm. i don't care about horses but like i mean i i don't i i also don't have experience around many horses so for me they are kind of abstract things because i i haven't spent that much time i did when i was a kid a little bit but it's like okay 
Well, that's that's the thing, though. Like, I, I don't want to make it sound like I hate horses and I don't care for horses. And if all the horses in the world died, I'd be <laughs> Headline, happy. Like, Alex that's... says, fuck you to horses. <laughs> that's not the case at all. <laughs> and I don't but care Alex who knows. I'm a horse. <laughs> yeah, but, like, if you're making me put a comparison between a family of humans that I can personally relate to and have experienced mm-hmm. and award-winning horses, like... I'm going to pick the family 100% of the time. That's just what I value more. And that's what drives my motivations personally more. Right. So it was just like, it's an interesting creative liberty that they did with this movie. It just didn't resonate with me at all. Yeah. Yeah. And then kind of continuing on the topic of like treating horses right and like all that stuff i don't know about either of you two but when she kept sticking her hand in the trailer for the i was like stop just stop what are you doing clearly this horse doesn't want you to pet it anymore just cut it out (laughs) haven't you seen any horror movies rachel this is exactly what you (laughs) don't do in a horror movie don't keep it. But I mean, that actually brings up a nice point that I wanted to make about how Rachel is kind of a monster in this movie. And mm. like, yeah, the scene with the horse where she's like petting the horse and it clearly is upset. And she's like, no, don't worry. I'm I'm petting you. I'm a nice person. It's like, no, mm. like, obviously, you're agitating this animal. If a dog was barking at you, you'd back away from the dog. Like, yeah. But then like at the very end, once Samara has come out of the TV and killed Noah and she comes up to the apartment and finds Noah and it's too late and she leaves and then she like is hiding in the stairwell as Noah's like new girlfriend or whatever is getting into the elevator and she just watches her go up to there. It's like, Rachel, you're a monster. You're going to like needlessly subject this woman who I guess you don't like because she's dating your ex to this like trauma of finding his corpse. Like what is wrong with you? I was really annoyed at her when she yeah, did that. Yeah, that was, that showed a lot of her character. Those two things, yeah. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> monster. Mm-hmm. I'll put it on here. The biggest monster of this movie, Rachel. <laughs> you know what, too? Just thinking about it, because of the whole bizarro feel of it being like dead horses in a news story, that's like kind of feels a little bit Twilight zone which is, again, a more of an American motif than a Japanese one. And it's like kind of mm, horror, yeah. horror consciousness. So that could be another reason why it was like that. Yeah, I, I buy that. Final thoughts. I guess if you want to enjoy the remake as much as you possibly can, don't watch the original. That's what I've gained out of this month. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to maximize your joy out of a remake, make sure you don't watch the original. Mm-hmm. Now, again, that's a little tongue-in-cheek. We, we talked about four movies, right? It's a small sample size. Yeah. But in all four cases, I liked the original either like a fair amount more or very much more and so that's an interesting if anyone has any remakes that they think are better than the original let Mm -hmm. us know yeah please let us know we'll maybe do this do another month again like i can't remember if i talked about it on this podcast or maybe one of the liberal soul podcasts i did about movies with my friend different friend alex but to me remakes things like remakes are very much like cover songs and mm-hmm. you can have a cover song that's better than the original, but it's a lot more rare than vice versa, right? Like, like I think Torn of... by Natalie and Brulia. That's <laughs> yeah. a cover. There you go, right? <laughs> and like, I can like renditions of a cover song quite a bit, but I don't know. There's just, again, something more authentic in the original. Sometimes it feels like. And mm-hmm. so I generally like originals more than covers. And... 
that's because they captured something that didn't exist before. Maybe that's part of it, right? Like the original creation captured something about human life or human feeling in a unique way that had never quite existed in that way before and covers only very mildly changed that original template in the same way that remakes are kind of like that, right? I don't know. Like, given that this is the end of our remake month, what are your two thoughts on your feelings around remakes versus originals now that we've got four, four full movies under our belt? <laughs> four full movies under our belt. I, yeah, I think it. I'm of two minds of it. Like, academically, it's kind of nice to see what inspired a remake mm. and sort of watching the, watching the original and watching the remake and doing a compare and contrast is fun for this podcast idea, right? Like, if mm. I had, in an alternate universe, decided to start watching horror movies on my own and not do a podcast about it, I don't know if I would want to, like, watch both, unless mm. I was, like, on some weird kick to just, like, watch every horror movie for whatever reason that's not podcast-related. Like, th- like this is really the only situation where I can see myself being like, I'll watch the original, I'll watch the remake. And I think yeah sometimes you hear something that's like reminiscent of the original in the remake and it makes you fond for the original and i think in the cases where i like the original better i would be like well if i was given the choice i would probably just watch the original again instead of watching the remake so i I don't know it's kind of an interesting thought experiment i don't mind remakes but it's hard when you've seen both of them to it's hard to sort of separate it out of like to mm-hmm. wa- to hold them on their own, right? You can't really experience one without the other as soon as you watch the second one. So mm-hmm. that's my answer. Mm. Yeah, I, I think for me, for remakes, it's a big question that I always feel like I have to ask is why was this remade? Like, what is the purpose of this remake? Mm. And right. I, we've talked a lot about this, like, you know, money obviously being a big one, but also like, wanting to bring a story to a wider audience where it might not have come from. So I think I don't respect the money reason very much, but I I can in some ways respect the other one trying to, you know, that was the story of the ring. It's like she wanted her story to be told to others. That's that's really the point of it. (laughs) The more people that know about it that don't have to watch the original tape is what is ultimately, I'm assuming the sequels will will talk about it more, but like we want to tell this story because I think storytelling is like just in human condition mm-hmm. storytelling yeah, is such an important sure. part of the human condition and i love listening to stories i love telling stories so if you have a good story and you want to tell as many people about it possible and a remake is a good way to do that fantastic i'm, I'm all aboard that but then i also kind of think about like there's, there's different kinds of remakes obviously if we're taking our example of the four that we've done there's the pretty much shot for shot remake in quarantine mm-hmm. and wreck which Mm-hmm. One, my biggest critique was it it lacks artistic whatever that term was i used artistic Genetic spirit one. yeah spirit <laughs> that's spirit. it yeah it, it lacked artistic spirit so it was like why was this made and then there's parts of this movie where it was like okay clearly this was changed it wasn't a shot for shot but it was changed so that maybe a more western or american audience could relate to it better but then <laughs> even though i could relate I, I do relate to a western or american audience more than i would with the japanese one it's like i like the japanese motivation mm. better even if i don't relate to it i think there's lot tons of given give and takes with remakes and i would never want to personally be in charge of making a remake because 
there's just i think there it's there's they're so volatile like until someone can show me the perfect remake movie like that that's how i'm gonna feel about remakes Mm -hmm. is that they have their place i think it's important but it's so hard to do it really well and without looking just greedy too exactly and then obviously we have a very small sample size but i agree with you luke that every single remake that we did in this month i like the original more that's not to say I didn't like any of the remakes. I thought, like, I, I, I still generally like this movie. I, I quite liked the remake to Fright Night, but I still like the original more. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's not... It's, I, I, I can't... I, it's not a black and white answer for me of how I feel about remakes. Yeah. There's just so many sure. variables, and I think it's a, it's a really interesting concept and idea, but I personally would never have the courage to make a remake. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially in like the the time of the internet, where if it's a something, it's a it's a property somebody likes on the internet. As soon as you make a remake, you're gonna have the ire of the internet being like, it's either too much exactly mm-hmm. like it was before, or not enough li- like it was when I remember it. And mm-hmm. no matter what you do, you're gonna be hampered. And we've seen it with the big blockbuster franchises that have been remade: Jurassic Park, Star Wars, Halloween movie franchise like all the all the ones that have had remakes not necessarily remakes but like sequels i guess more in the case of star wars i cannot imagine what the internet would do if somebody did a remake of a new hope oh fuck <laughs> <I> would... <laughs> never mind the internet talk about your podcast co-host billy yeah right your fucking podcast <laughs> co-host would do <laughs> I, well i kind of actually just just thought of this like a remake that i actually really did like and i think most people will agree is a great movie would be the remake of jumanji mm. oh yeah but the, the thing jumanji. is they new it, it's like it, it was good. completely different right like it's it's yeah it's really only a remake in terms of name and a tenuous and connection it. between a board game and a video game both being games yeah, yeah and like it was just like the premise of it's completely different the characters are completely different it's really just the spirit of the... It's it's more of a spiritual successor than a remake, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's like so, the one example, though, of a, a good job where all the other ones are kind of like, eh, is it okay? Yeah, so I feel it's like okay. that that might be the, the route I lean towards more is taking this mm-hmm. existing idea and just like, I really like the original movie. I have this idea of what it could look like in a completely different way, and I want to tell this new story. Mm-hmm. I think that idea of a remake interests me a lot more than retelling a story completely. With with your liberties to kind of change certain things, I I think yeah. You can play in the same sandbox, but you don't have to always build a sandcastle the same mm-hmm. way. Right. It's yeah. like yeah. I totally agree with you, Alex. It's not black and white, but I do think it is skewed. So, in the same way that like again with my cover song metaphor, I think All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix is a superior version of the song than Bob Dylan's, the, the original, mm-hmm. and I think that. Nirvana's The Man Who Sold the World is as good as Bowie's version of it, right? Like there's these beautiful, really homage-esque, where I feel the spirit of the art coming through the artist making it, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. some of them, I just hear like a straight up ripoff to say something like, hey, look, here, we're a band that is covering this song that you know to try and get our band to be more famous kind of thing. And I don't enjoy those kind of covers because it feels like gratuitous maybe. So mm-hmm. I totally agree. There can be really cool remakes and really like keeping the spirit, right? Maybe this is what we're 
dancing around is like some of these remakes maybe keep the spirit of the original in a way that is artistically vibrant. And some of them feel like they're there to make some more money. Like by the time they make Jurassic Park 17, I'm not going to be thinking like, man, what a deep and thoroughgoing take on the existential nature of humans <laughs> in a Jurassic. Like, it's just, it doesn't feel that way anymore. Right? <laughs> smells like movie spirit, right? <laughs> smells like movie spirit. Now, again, we're playing fast and loose with sequels versus remakes, but yeah, you sure. know, like the fact that I, I, I'll say it like this, the fact that the three of us, at least the two foreign films we did, liked Wreck and the original Ring more well, we are people who presumably are in the market to like the American remakes because we didn't hear about the originals. But we liked the originals. Mm. That can't be a small yeah. group of people. So promote the originals. Well, we're not going to make money off of them. Okay. <laughs> Again, yeah, we're back exactly. to right. we're back to the real reason these things get made. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do think like thinking about the last hour and 25 minutes that we've been talking together, I feel like we've <laughs> talked more about the idea of remakes mm -hmm. than the actual movie so, yeah. that we just watched, right? <laughs> well, it's episode like this 70. Episode definitely felt, yeah, it felt on a little the, different. On the 10s, we reflect on movies a bit, right? It's, it's appropriate. Right, right. We reflect <laughs> on movies a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would, okay, question about The Ring, Alex. Okay. Mm Would you say this is your third or fourth favorite movie about a ring? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, good, good. All right, let's see. That there's Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, yeah. Return of the King. There's there the go. proposal, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Ring. I don't think this cracks the top ten list of Ring movies. Honestly, wow. <laughs> what about what about the top? Where does it rank on your list of dead horse movies? <laughs> Black Beauty, you know what? Sea Biscuit, The Ring. <laughs> Jesus. You know what they say, Luke? The only thing worse than beating a dead horse is betting on one. Right. Does Seabiscuit die? I can't remember. I don't remember. Mm. I feel like I know Black Beauty dies. Like that type of movie. Black Beauty dies. What about I don't know about Seabiscuit. The, the War Horse. Does War Horse die in the movie War Horse? Is that, a movie? Is that a movie? I don't know. Shadow Facts lives. Mm. Shadow Facts rules, though. <laughs> I think Brago anyway. lives, too, right? <laughs> I think Brago does live. And Bill? Okay. No, Bill died. Does Bill die to the the? No, Watcher Bill the, the Pony makes it back. Apparently, Bill they let Bill the Pony go back to Hobbiton, and he lives a long and happy pony life. Nice. Mm. Way to go, Bill. Way to go, Bill. All right. <laughs> should we should we wrap it up? Should we wrap it up for another another week? Let's do it. Should. Alrighty, so we, we gotta talk though about scariest part of the movie, and I think for me, my scariest part of the movie was the makeup of Katie when she's in the closet, and just the way her, like, scared-to-death face looked. She was much grosser, much more, yeah, much more horrifying to look at. So that was, that was my scariest part of the movie. What about you, Alex? Exact same. Like, this, this movie was not honestly that scary. There's like a couple gross things, but really, I think if if you have to think about the scariest part and the most shocking part to like someone that never watched the movie, it would probably be like crawling out of the TV because you think everything's resolved at that point. But right. Yeah. Yeah. That honestly wasn't that scary to me. But yeah, I agree. Seeing Katie's scared to death face was quite shocking because mm. I knew it was coming as well. But I think that was one of the visual things that this movie did really good at was it changing. So yeah, that was my scariest part. Luke, what's your scariest part? 
Yeah, I don't think this movie was very scary. Obviously, the face parts were creepy, but they weren't on very long. And so I guess probably the most scary part is actually pretty realistic. It's when Rachel falls in the well. I think falling in a well would be terrifying. And like it happens. People can fall in wells because wells are real things. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be (laughs) terrifying. (laughs) That was actually a very affecting scene. Either you're like totally injured or you don't make it or you're like having Mm -hmm. to tread water in a well now. (laughs) (laughs) for how long though how long do you reckon you could tread water in a well for luke (laughs) a lot shorter if i fell down it (laughs) (laughs) i mean was the answer supposed to be seven days (laughs) yeah the answer was supposed to be oh sorry (laughs) yeah right (laughs) man if i'm falling that that was a fucking long well if i fall down that well i'm treading water for like seven seconds yeah and the (laughs) angle that she fell into the well at like it, it, the, the way side. that she so woke up, it looked like she went straight down, but there's no way she went straight down. She must have like hit like the side and a couple times. The physics of it were questionable. That that also felt very much like the movie we haven't done yet, but Final Destination. Like the way the the screws loosened so the beam could fall and the TV could slide to knock into her. I was like, oh, this is mm, like a Final yeah. Destination kill. So, well, you know what? Maybe yeah. Rachel. Maybe Rachel was able to defeat her own Balrog on the way down. Mm. (laughs) She comes back as Rachel the White. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good, good, scariest parts. All right, it's time to rate this one. And since we've been picking gross things to rate it out of, and it's my Mm. turn, I'm picking hair-covered electrodes. Gross. Are they in your stomach? To start with, you gotta... No, I don't want them in my stomach, because then I have to pull out as many that I've rated. No. Ah, gross. <laughs> okay, gross, gross, gross. Whatever. I am going to give this one a 2.8 out of 5, because, yeah, I like the first one better. I got some more answers about the story in the first half, but the why of it was still just like, eh, okay. And I guess 70 movies on, it isn't as scary as... It would have been were I to watch it in 2002. So, 2.8. Alex, what about you? Yeah, overall, this was a fairly enjoyable movie. I think I got a little convoluted. And obviously, I I did find the original to be more enjoyable. But this was a fine movie. I think if you only watch this movie, you're going to enjoy it. And if you watch both of them, you're going to also enjoy parts of this movie. But you're going to appreciate the original more, which is certainly something that I experienced. Yeah, I think the positives of this movie were really positive, and the negatives of this movie were didn't make me hate it. It was just meh. Mm-hmm. So I will give The Ring a 2.75 out of 5. Pulled out. Hair-covered electrodes. Hairy-covered electrodes from your stomach. <laughs> yeah. Nice. There you okay. go. Luke, what about you? Yeah, just considering all the things we talked about, I think technically this movie is really cool, and I think... The acting was okay, but I think the script was terrible. And then because it wasn't like an original motivation, that also narrowed it down. So I think like holistically, all things considered, I have to say this is a very slightly below average movie. So I'm giving it 2.49, okay. <laughs> 2.49 hair covered electrodes out of my stomach out of five. <laughs> just, just below average. 
Just below average. Well, that brings us to the end, and we will have we have one more segment before the credits, and that is the something to cheer segment. And it's my week, so I'm picking first. And mine is a simple one. I saw Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, another mm. another ring movie that pushes the ring down another rank in movies about rings. I'm gonna go see and that in an hour and a half. Out of the top <laughs> ten rings. Out of the top, out of the top ten rings of of all the ten rings of Shang Chi, the ring is not one of them. So, <laughs> but yeah, it was a good fun time. I enjoyed it, and there were some good twists and turns in it. So I know that Alex, you're about to see it, so I will not say anything more. So that's my cheer, though. What Thanks. are you cheering, Alex? I will cheer a show that I've been heavily binging, and that's Ted Lasso. So that's the Ooh. Apple TV show based off of the SNL skit. The The premise is Jason Sudeikis is a div to American college football coach, mm-hmm. and he gets hired to be the real football, or as we call it, soccer <laughs> manager for a Premier League soccer team, and he doesn't know anything about soccer. <laughs> it's just like the most wholesome show I've ever watched. Aww. Like, there's no, like, I can't think of another show that makes me laugh and cry at the same time, but, like, in good ways for both. It's just, mm-hmm. like, Jason Sudeikis' character is just, like, literally kill him with kindness, and then at first you think, like, oh, this is so fake, like, there's no way. But then after about episode two, you're like, this is actually how this person is, this character is, and it's so endearing, and everything about it is just lovely to watch, so... If you need a pick-me-up, if you want a feel-good thing, if you want to just smile, I would highly recommend watching Ted Lasso. Oh, I love it. It's good Is cheer. it like the best of American optimism meets the harshest of British cynicism? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and it, the clash of it is just so funny, but so endearing. It's great. Nice. Mm. Nice. I've heard that show is funny, but it's not funny at anyone's expense, necessarily. Like, it's not mm-hmm. cringy as much as, like, The Office was, say, but just like yeah. a nice show. Yeah. Right. What about you, Luke? What are you cheering? Mine is very modest, but the last couple days, not today so much, but the last three days or so before this were kind of like the perfect memory I have of late summer in Nelson, warm, 25, 26, 27 degrees and sunny, but not too hot, no smoke. The fires had they're a little bit back today the smoke but just like the most archetypal beautiful late summer day you can ever experience with like a slight breeze in the trees and you just like live to be outside in those days it's gorgeous so i'm cheering that i love it my appreciation of nature that's beautiful and it's rainy here today so i will vicariously enjoy your sunny summer day because it's a gray rainy afternoon i i just love late summer it's so good so it's awesome well by the time this episode comes out it will be early Early autumn so early fall which is also a good time but we before we get to what we're watching next week a couple credits to take care of thank you so much to you luke and you alex for joining me and being on the show it's always so fun to talk alex thank you for writing the music thank you to katie and madison for designing the artwork that the show uses and the merch if you'd like to buy some merch please check us out on Public. you can pick up some stuff there and if you would like to follow us and interact with us on twitter or on instagram we are on instagram we are nothing to fear podcast on twitter we are ntf pod 
And you can also really help the show by leaving a rating or a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps people find the show. It helps us go up in the charts. And it would really mean a lot. So yeah, you can do all those things. And please follow us. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line. Let us know what you're cheering. Use a hashtag, something to cheer, and we may read it out on air if we get some good ones. They're all good, but we haven't gotten any yet. So, All right. So next week is the start of October, and it is the spooky month. It is the month of Halloween, and our theme for the the podcast in the month of October is going to be Halloween, but not Halloween. So the movies we will do may not involve Michael Myers, may not involve the Halloween franchise. But can be about Halloween. So with those rules in place, Alex, it is your turn to pick. What are we going to watch next week? We are going to watch Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween. No, we're not. Oh, God. I, I, I was about I, to I fucking lose you. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. That was good. That was How good because I actually felt you. my emotion rising. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I picked this movie because I saw the trailer for the sequel and I haven't seen this first one. And I Ooh, want okay. to watch the second one. So we're going to watch the first one. And the way it is related to Halloween is during Halloween, you go visit people's houses. So okay. next week, we're going to watch 2016's Don't Breathe. Oh. Ooh. Okay. I, I've seen that Don't. one. I believe they go Breathe. visit a house in that one. <laughs> I love it. I have not seen it. I'm excited for it. Yeah. It's good. It's pretty Breathe. fucked up. <laughs> Should we do it? What do you think, Luke? Should we do it for the pod? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay cool. <laughs> cool. All right, yeah, Great. we're watching 2016's Don't I'm Breathe. just letting you know, it's a fucked up movie. <laughs> Ooh, I can't wait. Alrighty, well then, on that note, we will leave it off. We will say goodbye. I will let Alex say goodbye. Goodbye. Have a good one. Woo! And I will let Luke say goodbye. And also, Luke, where can people find you? I didn't do that part. <laughs> no, that's okay. Goodbye, and... You can listen to The Liberal Soul on all podcasting apps, and I believe it's episode 15. You can hear the dulcet and euphonious tones of Billy and Alex and I talking about Star Wars. Yes. I love it. As okay. well as two days from this recording, so on September 7th, it will be the two-year anniversary of Really True Fiction. So hopefully oh. that will get going again at some point, but if not, two-year anniversary oh. nonetheless, and so that's kind of crazy and cool to think about. Cool. That is kind of crazy and cool. Alex, do you have anything you want to plug? Anything you want to say? No. Where people can find you? No. All right. Great. No. <laughs> well then, friends. Not even I... at the bottom of a well. Not, Not even, even at the bottom, bottom of a well. Of a you know well. why? Because at the end of the day, we learned that you can find someone at the bottom of a well. And I don't want anyone <laughs> to find <laughs> So not even at the bottom of a well. <laughs> All right, that was a good note to end on. Remember, folks, they're just movies. There is nothing to fear. Ah, and then we could sing about Come Salem Way. Come Salem Way. Come Salem Way with me. You said come way too many times there. <laughs> well. That was last episode. It's episode 70. It's more refined. <laughs> just trying to get my sticks off. Ha, ha, ha.